This is my friend Molly. Um, before she shares this morning, I want to jump back and I want you to look at where we've been. I want you to look at this, I, this place that we started with, that creation, uh, there, there was a God who pre-existed creation. In the beginning, what? God. Even before we go further than just those four words, in the beginning, he's there. And in Genesis 3, that paradise is lost. Joe gave us that bleak picture yesterday morning. There's a brokenness that sits there. And last night, we get to celebrate the rescue of Christ. I got to tell you guys, though, oftentimes when we talk about the gospel, this third space is where we stop. And it doesn't do the gospel justice because that's not where the story stops. It's not just about heaven. It's about restoration. It's about redemption. It's about legacy. It's about something bigger that God's doing. And that's the story. I'm just like, I hope we can do it justice this morning because it's a beautiful thing to preach. And we get it to see it preached first through Molly's life. So I'm going to hand the mic off to her. Yeah. Probably one of the questions that you've been asking this weekend, especially last night, as we launched into, I mean, the beginning, you guys, the beginning is beautiful. A garden, paradise, perfection. The fall is rough. People say the gospel's bad news before it's good news. Jesus came to preach the good news, right? But the gospel's bad news first, because you have to understand how fallen we are to understand the rescue. But, like I said, if you've been paying attention, there's probably a question that's flowed out, and that is, why is it still so hard? Why is it still so hard? Have you heard that in every story about how God is beginning to reveal and heal this brokenness, but it seems like it's a daily process? I have healed from some things. I am healing in some things, and I am yet to heal in some things in my life daily. It's not an event. I would love it if you could just graduate. You know, if like we could just bless your weekend and be like, no more pain, y'all. The rest of your life, because you attended fall retreat, you, like, that was it. 35 bucks, all the pain for the rest of your life, gone. That'd be a pretty sweet deal, and we could charge more than $35. But it doesn't work that way. Why? Because you live in this part of the story where you are rescued, but not yet restored. What does it mean to live in the land of rescue, but not yet fully restored? You know. Feel it. You feel it in your bones. It shocks me sometimes, uh, the philosophical worldview that we live in right now is secular humanism, okay? And if you're not a philosophy person, that's totally fine. Just hear me in this. There is a worldview being preached everywhere right now. It comes through in the news articles that you read and the TikToks that you watch. I mean, it's like all, it's all over the place, all right? And it is this idea that humans are pretty great. And if we were left to our own devices, we could create heaven here on earth without God. As a matter of fact, religion conflicts with that. If we could get rid of religion, that would be a part of it. Religion is creating conflict. If, using technology, we could unite everybody, if people could just better communicate, then we could create heaven on earth. So, th and this experiment is not just like, I'm not just talking about during your lifetime. This has been what we have been immersed in for like the last 30 years as a culture. So, how's that going? We're more connected now than we have ever been. We're a global economy. We have global communication. You can put your thoughts right now. Like, you can, you can live tweet this moment if you want to, all right? 
How's it going? You know the answer to that because you feel it in your gut. This world's broken. And not just out there, in here. I don't have to put those thoughts in your brain. These are just a couple um, articles that have hit my, uh, like my Google feed in the past week or two. I saved them because I knew that it was going to come to this. I forgot I had this slide in there. <laughs> Let me jump back to where I should have started. In the beginning, there's this old phrase I ran across while prepping for this. The beginning is pregnant with the end. It contains it. The other way of saying this is that the end is contained in the beginning. We have whispers of the end in the beginning. In every story that you've seen, that's true. And what I wanted to get to with this idea of if we have whispers of the end from the beginning, then why does it feel like we're still stuck in the brokenness? This is where these news articles come in. Gen Z, says the New York Post, is made of zombies. Less educated, more depressed, without values. You're like, man, I thought this was restoration morning and not, <laughs> and not fall. Well, it gets better. Research reveals that Generation Z is, quote, hollowed out, end quote. A generation living solitary lives, hyper-connected to technology, but unattached from family, church, or community. The author cites statistics showing teen depression rose 63% from 2007 to 2017, while teen suicide grew 56%. Suicide is now the second leading cause of death for the young. And those statistics were from before the pandemic, by the way, which I am guessing did not trend these numbers better. Here's the second one, ABC News. Young people are experiencing widespread psychological distress over the government handling of looming cri climate crisis. That's hard to say, researchers say. This is 10,000 people studied from 10 different countries, so it's not just United States. And in that study, they said that 45% of those said that their feelings, just, as, just about climate change, negatively affect their daily life and functioning. 75% of those surveyed said they feel the future is frightening. 75% of your generation, when they were asked, what does the future hold? 75% the answer is, I'm frightened by it. That's the tone. And if you've been awake, these numbers shouldn't surprise you. If you've been awake, you probably are like, yeah, I get it. Even if I don't know, I would say my future is frightening. I feel that. Every news article that comes across that's like, things are doomed. <laughs> like, that's just the news. You scroll through it, it's like, cute puppy, weird internet video, your future is doomed. That's the stuff that you scroll through every day for fun. <laughs> All those stories stack next, against, next to each other and against each other. Why? Why does it feel that way? Because we're broken. We're broken from the inside out. Why does creation seem that way? Because creation is broken from the inside out. You guys have said it before, I'll say it again. One of the reasons I'm a Christian is because this narrative makes sense to the world I look out and see around me. It's unique. The teaching of Christianity is unique, that God so loved the world that he gave of himself, that God is humble, that he didn't just create humans because he wanted to mess with us but he actually wanted as an artist to pour himself out into us, to create a bride. He knew when he created us that the fall would happen. He knew when the fall happened that the rescue would need to happen. I mean, there's no other way to look at it for a God who stands outside time. When he created us, he knew Jesus would have to go to the cross. And it was all the same to him, all the same moment. It has yet to play out for us, but not for him. But even the rescue isn't the end of the story. 
And again, if you squint your eyes a little bit, you can see it. Because the beginning is pregnant with the end. The end is contained in the beginning. We've already seen it a little bit. There's this super weird moment long time ago, Joe and I had in St. Louis. Uh, I was officiating a wedding. This is probably 25 years ago. Um, it was one of the first weddings I'd ever officiated. And um, the couple was super gracious. They agreed to, um, they gave us a hotel room in like downtown St. Louis somewhere. It was north of downtown. Anyway, we did the rehearsal Friday night, Saturday morning. Oftentimes there's time to kill. Like, you know, the family's all doing pictures and that kind of stuff. So Joe and I, I mean, we've got to get out of our hotel in the morning. We have like two or three hours to do nothing. And we're like, let's just walk around the city and we'll find a place for lunch. I mean, it's supposed to be, you know, kind of a chill, so, but we had to get dressed up before we left the hotel. So I'm in like wedding suit, not just a suit, but like a black formal suit, okay? And she's in a really beautiful dress. And we're, and we're like, and we're just strolling with nothing else to do, the, the streets of St. Louis, and we're wandering around and just looking for food. Weirdly though, the place that we were at, there were no restaurants. And so we were just enjoying ourselves and then it, you know, it was like, man, You'd think we'd find a restaurant, and we'd keep walking for a while, and it'd be like, we haven't seen a restaurant. And then we're looking at the, the, our watches and being like, we might run out of time to eat. Like, we can't find any place to eat. And then there's this big mall, like four or five stories, and it says food court open. And we're like, well, that's not exactly what we were going for, but we're kind of running short on time, so let's do that. So we walk through the front doors of this mall. This should have clued us in that this was going to get weird, Okay. There's a, immediately to our left, there's a grocery store in the mall. I was like, what? This is weird. And all of the traffic that was coming into the mall was going straight into the grocery store and out. There was no other traffic. And we looked, and there's a little sign about 20 feet away that says, food court still open, top floor. And it was like, still open? What does that mean? And I was like, this is good. This is about to be an adventure, okay? And there's nobody else walking that direction. So we, I mean, dressed fantastically, formally, into this, you know, we're looking for the food court in the mall, walk into this place, and it's four, I think, four stories of closed stores. This entire mall is shut down. There is nothing there except one running escalator going all the way up to the top floor, where apparently there is a food court that is still open. Tons of homeless people in the mall, and we are dressed to the nines, like, this is our party, okay? And so we look at each other and it's like, oh, we have to do this now. So we waltz over to the escalator. And again, this mall is dirty, it's dusty, hasn't been cleaned, there are no shops there, there's no people there. And we ride this escalator all the way up and we get to the top as if we're arriving at a formal party and there's like four employees and nobody else just sitting there at a Zabaro pizza. That's the only thing that was at the top of this escalator, which is the worst pizza ever, okay? Offense? I love Zach? loves the borrow, and he's the only one. Okay, so, so we get up to the top. Maybe it's just because it's in a mall food court. It doesn't help, okay? Nothing tastes better in a mall food court, except maybe Cinnabon. All right, I have digressed officially. So we get up to the top of this, and I mean, we're just laughing. This is so ridiculous at this point, and, and the mall is actually ornate. It's just nasty, dirty, hasn't been used, hasn't been cleaned. We get our little slices of pizza, and, and we actually end up going to sit. I'm going to try to describe it to you. There's this big fountain that has like an outer concrete lip to it, and we go sit there and are eating our pizza, okay? And I start looking at this fountain, which is not a fountain, by the way. It's dry, rusted out, pipes are all exposed, the tile all has that white calcified garbage all over it, okay? 
And I'm sitting there looking at it, and I realize the fountain that we're sitting on is beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Like whoever did it, whoever created it, was an artist. All these different mosaic tiles, little tiny ones that they had pieced together to create artwork. It was difficult to see because it was dirty. But then I started like trying to imagine it with my mind's eye to be like, what would this fountain have looked like if it was clean and filled and gorgeous and blue? And I could see it. And I was like, this is, this is a shame that this thing is sitting in disrepair right now. And the mall, you guys, was huge. And again, marble pillars, gorgeous floors, but all of it's nasty and dirty. And so then I started looking around the mall, which I'm not kidding you, was just had garbage piled in places. Like I said, homeless people camped out in different spots. And I tried to imagine what that place looked like in its heyday. And for a second I saw it, you know, where you could smell Cinnabon and coffee and Bed Bath and Bo Body Beyond Works, whatever all that, that is, you know. I could, I could see people shopping. I could see kids being drugged around, somebody playing a piano, live music, all of it clean and pristine, Christmas, decorated for Christmas that time of the year, kids falling in love with stuff that, that their parents won't let them buy because it's already wrapped under the tree at home. I could see it, this place in its heyday. If I squinted my eyes, I could see it. But that's not where we were sitting. We were sitting in this dumpy, nasty, dirty mall. And you guys, I feel like in the land that we live in, the land of rescued but not yet restored, if you squint your eyes, you can see it because you have felt it from the beginning. The garden isn't just a part of your story, it's in you, just as the fall is. And while you've been rescued from it, you haven't been fully restored to your true self yet, but that time is coming. We started 38 hours ago in Genesis 1-1. I'm going to take us to Revelation 21 to get a picture of this. And I saw the holy city, John says, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, behold, that's the word, pay attention. God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, behold, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. This is the end of our story. It's finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and I am the end. God says to us, this is where our story is headed. Let me give you three just beautiful reminders from this. I told you Friday night, God is an artist. He's good at restoring one of my favorite things of all time that the internet has ever produced, you guys, came like four or five years ago. I'm sure that you've seen it. Like 90% of you have seen this. Let me just remind you of this this morning because it's so good. In Spain, in a cathedral, there was a painting of Jesus that looked like this. Do you remember it? Have you seen this? Oh, please. If you have not, you are in for such a treasure today. This is one of my favorites. This is an 18th century painting that existed in this cathedral, and it was obviously in need of some restoration. And an elderly woman in that congregation, without telling anybody, took it on herself to restore the painting. 
No one knew that she was doing it. She didn't ask permission. She just decided she would make it new again, okay? When they found it, this was the final product, okay? Can you lower the lights for just a second? Because I want people to get the full glory of this picture, okay? <laughs> Are you capturing the full glory of her restoration to make something beautiful uglier? All right, you can take the lights back up. You guys, God's not that kind of artist. He doesn't take things and make them slightly better. He is creating a work in you, through you, that you can barely even comprehend. Did you hear Emma share it? I mean, she, when she shared, I think it was John 13, you do not understand what I am doing, Jesus said. Man, those words could not be truer when we talk about what it means to live in the land of the rescued but not quite yet restored. You do not fully understand what I am doing yet, Jesus says. But these three reminders, behold, God will be with his people again, back in the garden, back in the cool of the day, no barriers between us with God. We have sensed it because the beginning was pregnant with the end. We started in a garden, what we end in looks very much like a garden. Combined with a city, there is freedom that we have in that. What else do we know about this that we're told in the scripture? No more pain, no more death, no more tears, no more, no more sorrow. Think about this for a second. No more taxes, no more scraped knees, no more cancer, no more divorce, no more cheating, no more breakups, no more comparison, no more jealousy, no more 30-second unskippable ads, like, no more gossip. No more racism, no more politics, no more manipulation, no more viruses, no more decay, no more division, no more waking up like you can't feel, like you can't fill that hole in your chest. All of that is gone. Paul tells us in that moment, we will fully know God just like we are fully known by him. Can you even imagine what it means to know God the way he knows us? That wholeness that you are chasing, it is we feel it, we sense it, we are working toward it in this lifetime, but we haven't fully realized it yet until we're restored. That's the second truth. The third one is his behold, I am making all things new. What a crazy promise that is. I am making all things new, he said. Romans 8.28 might be one of my favorite promises that sits in scripture. I don't have it in the PowerPoint, but I do want to read it for you. If you, if you write down one thing from me this morning, write down Romans 8.28. It says that, and, and Molly actually referenced this in her talk too. It says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Don't get lost in the language there. Let me just give you the two pieces of it. All things work for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. The thing that I love about this is there are two promises there. One of them is unconditional, the other is conditional. At least it, maybe it's one promise broken into two parts. What can God work together for good? All things. You're like, okay, but I got some stuff in my past that isn't good. All things. I have some stuff that was done to me that I wrote on that that I am not, like, I, I try to run from every day, all things. I, got, like, I have run away from God in certain periods of my life and done stuff that I'm not proud of, all things. 
He can take it and bend it for good. He can use it as a part of his masterpiece. That's the kind of painter he is, you guys. It's a part of the grander artwork that he is painting. What can he take and use for good? All things. You're sitting here and you're like, yes, but. No, but. There is no condition there. All things he can take and work together for good, period, end of story. That's what he does. So what's the, what's the catch? Well, there is, it's not a catch, but there is a condition. This is for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. See, part of the rescue, part of this part of the story is when we give our lives over to Christ and we say, I'm not the painter anymore, you're the painter, then he's like, then stand back and watch this. That's when we find hope. That's when we find trust. That's when Molly can cry out, even in the midst of her pain, I don't know exactly what he's painting, but I trust the painter. I trust the artist to do a better job with the brush than me because I know what the painting's going to look like if I yank the brush away from him and just do it myself. But there's pain in handing over the paintbrush to a better artist. And that's what Romans 8.28 is all about. You hand that brush to him and you're like, God, take it all. The stuff I thought was great about me and the stuff that I think is awful about me, take it all and use it for your larger story to create a painting that I just can't fully see, understand, like, or am even equipped. The beautiful thing is, too, it's not just about you. It's not just the story that he's writing in you. There are stories all around you, too. Don't those matter? The redemption and the restoration. So what if the idea of you painting your story, you're painting over other people's lines? because you selfishly want to be at the center of it. God doesn't work that way either. He doesn't just see your story. He sees ours. He doesn't want to just work your story for good. He wants to blend it into other people's paintings to create something larger than you could have created on your own. You just got the little postage stamp picture. There's a larger picture that we don't always get to see until restoration, until heaven, until we fully know God, even as we are fully known by him. That's what the Romans 8, 28 promise is. God says, behold, I'm making all things new. I'm taking all of the things of your life here and redeeming them, buying them back, making them matter, which means there is meaning in your pain and there is meaning in your obstacle and there is hope even in the midst of it. Man, I hope you hear that message this morning. There's hope even in the midst of it. Why? Why would he do this? I already said it Friday night, because he's an artist. And an artist wants a canvas. Why did he do it? Because he's a lover, and a lover wants to love and have an object for his love. In the beginning, God, he was the subject of the sentence, and we were the object, and it hasn't changed in the entire story. He is still the subject, and we are still the object. Whew. Do we have a painting to hang? Let's hang a painting.
I'm going to come out here with you because I can't see it from back there. Can we? <laughs> seems like uh, seems like we're just a little bit off. We're close though. Can you hang it on the outside one? We'll see if that works. Lindsay to the rescue. I don't know if you can identify your square in there or not. I hope you can. Can you see the tree? Can you see a mosaic that looks different? And you could possibly have guessed from that tiny little postage stamp thing that you were handed. I mean, you had no idea. Some of you, some of you weren't drawing the tree at all. Some of you use different colors than were in the original. Some of you aren't that good at drawing. Okay. <laughs> but can I tell you something about this painting? Do you realize that when you see your story stacked with other people's, that all of the things I just said don't matter that much? Even for those of you, like if I'd have given you two minutes and you just scratched something out with a pencil, your pixel still matters in this. It's still a part of the grander story. It's still something that God will use. Listen, if you're holding the paintbrush, you guys, you got none of this larger picture. None of it. Because you can't see it on your own. You don't stand outside of time. You don't have an understanding of restoration the way that God does. God wants to create something beautiful, way more beautiful than this. This is cool. But he wants to create a masterpiece through you. And that is not me just talking God up. That is the story of Scripture. It doesn't just end with you being rescued. It's a God who wants to take your life, your little square, and make it matter in a way that you didn't think or understand or see was even possible in that moment. That's why I think we do the gospel in injustice when we end with rescue. And Jesus came to save you. It's like, awesome. That's an amazing, if that was it, that would be enough, you guys. That's a great, that's a great piece of the story. But there's also this and, and he is using us. I don't understand why he would hand me a paintbrush and say, I'm not the only artist now. Now you and I get to paint together. Now that your life is submitted with mine, I'm going to help you understand what to paint, and you're going to start to do some of those strokes with me, the artist says. And I'm going to use the fact that you're created in my image to do this with me. Now we get to do this together. And the angels are like, what is he doing? What is the heavenly father up to? But that's how much he loves us. It's not just an invitation to rescue. It's an invitation into the great restoration of all things. I am not over speaking this morning when I say that God has invited you to change the entire course of human history. Just like last night when I said he extended a hand to Peter and he was like, Peter, let's go. It's this or fish. There's an old story with Steve Jobs. Um, when he was building Apple as a company, um, he went to this, he knew that there were things in his business that were missing. So he went to the CEO of Pepsi. I don't remember the guy's name, but he went to the CEO of Pepsi and said, I need you to come and work for me, which was a ridiculous ask because in that moment, Apple was not Apple. And he was going to the CEO of one of the largest international corporations of the world, okay? And he goes to this guy and said, I need you to come work for Apple. And the guy says, no, thank you. <laughs> and Steve Jobs comes back later and says, I really need you. We need you in this company. I need you to come work for Apple. And the CEO of Pepsi says, no, 
Why would I do that? It's ridiculous. That's a gamble. Third time, Steve Jobs comes back to him and says, I need you to come work for Apple. And the guy says, I am set here. You understand, I'm a CEO of one of the most important companies in the world. Stable, I got money, I've got influence, I got power, what could you possibly offer me? And Steve Jobs got mad at him and said, I'm giving you an invitation to change the world and you wanna make sugar water. That's a good line. And the guy went and worked for Apple, went and worked for Steve Jobs. Why? because he was invited into a larger picture. He was invited into legacy. Do you want to be a part of something that matters? Your faith is not about you just being rescued. It's about you being brought into a larger picture that God is authoring and asking you to paint with him. Why does he ask us to collaborate in that? I don't know. You'll have to ask him. It seems pretty risky to me, but apparently he believes that it's worth it. Do you remember where I started? I started this whole weekend by talking about me sitting in my room, my dorm room, 529 Taylor, and getting a phone call from a girl that I thought I knew. <laughs> and I married her. And I want you to think about this for a second. That idiot in the dorm room, I asked her later to marry me on a beach. Elijah was born three years after we got married. We didn't have much money, didn't know what we were doing as parents. It was confusing. We kept having babies for a lot of years. Felt like we were just trying to survive, trying to sleep, trying to keep babies fed, trying to pay the bills. God sent all kinds of people to help. We didn't do it on our own. They helped us with kids. They helped us with bills. As I look at it now, this many years later, as I look at it now, I am blown away. Like, I love this. It's, it's hard. I love the story that he's writing. One of my kids is now married. I got one in college. We got others spread throughout high school, junior high, grade school. And I love the story that he's still writing, but it's still hard. I just never would have pictured any of that as the kid trying to finish my paper when the phone rang and she gave me an invitation that said, hey, do you, do you want to go out with me? You guys, the end of the story is the end of that invitation of God inviting you and being like, you can't picture it right now. You can't see the whole thing. I promise that you can't. I'm asking you to trust me that it's good. I'm asking you to trust me that it's beautiful. And I want you to know that I'm going to use it all for my glory. Hear this verse. After you have suffered a little while, this is 1 Peter 5.10, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Created, fallen, rescued, and fully restored. That is the picture of Scripture. That is the story from beginning to end. That is Genesis all the way to Revelation. Under your seat, you have one of these. I want you to grab it right now. This is the invitation to this. And I'm not going to necessarily have you take it immediately. You're welcome to. But as we have the, our last three or four songs here to close, 
as we celebrate Jesus' rescue, his body and his blood broken for us. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to take this with us this morning. I'm going to give you the option to take it when you want and worship. This is the extended hand. This is Jesus saying, come join the party. This is him saying, I'm going to help you. I'm going to hand you the, the, the paintbrush, and you're going to paint with me, and it's going to change eternity, and we're going to do it together. This is what we take back to campus, my friends. Not just news that we're rescued, but news that God is doing something greater. Now, here's the tricky part of what's about to happen. We've just covered up our lyrics. There's no way around it. There's no other way to do it. So if you need to move off to the side where you can see him, if you don't need the lyrics, cool, just stay where you're at. If you don't want to sing, you just want to sit in your seat and meet with Jesus in this moment, that's awesome too. I'm just giving you permission for this moment to be messy, for you to spread out, to move to where you need to move. And worship the God of the paintbrush who gives you this invitation this morning. Let's worship. You can stand.